This morning, I want to take a moment to share with you some comfort food, some soul food. Food that is simple and just nutritious like your grandmother made. I was watching a, a YouTube video this week of an Italian grandma making um, eggplant parmigiana. And uh, you know, you might watch it in YouTube. She's quite a character. Uh, I mean, if she, if she were an Italian character in a, in a movie and uh, were a bad actress pretending to have an Italian accent, you couldn't get her better. She is the quintessential Italian uh, grandmother making comfort food for, for her family. And, and you get the feeling that, you know, she, she derives so much of her identity from uh, making food for her family and uh, seeing her family just enjoy the food that she makes. Simple food, nothing extraordinary, nothing, you know, nuanced or, or sophisticated. Just a, a good, loving grandma making food for her family and having a great time at it. And uh, this is what <laughs> Psalm 23 is all about. It's good comfort food, soul food, simple nourishment from the Word of God. And so I want to read it for you and let, let the words of the psalm wash over you. And you know, I've never preached on this psalm. In 30-some in years of ministry, I don't remember at least having preached on Psalm 23. And maybe it's because it's so basic, because it's so, you know, it's like it's there. It's like a nice picture that you've had for 30 years hanging on the wall. You love it. That's how you put it on the wall. But it's become so familiar. Uh, it's become so fundamental in a way that it's just gone into your psyche and just dispersed itself through your consciousness. And, and it's just there. You don't see it. It's in you, but you don't really see it as such. Psalm 23 is like that. And maybe that's why, you know, I've never preached on it. It's such a fundamental scripture. It's so basic and so, so foundational that we're tempted to kind of, you know, just take it for granted. We repeat it all the time. We know it by heart. But um, it's not something that you kind of say, okay, you know, you know what? I want to preach about it because so many people have preached about it. What else? What, what is new? What can you say that is new about Psalm 23? But I, I felt the Lord speaking to me this morning uh, and last night before I went to bed to uh, meditate on Psalm 23. You know it well. You can even recite it with me right where you are. The Lord is my shepherd. As a consequence, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but, um, you know, personally, I'm tired of uh, sermons with a purpose. And I preached several of them these past few weeks. 
I want to rest as much as possible from COVID-19 this morning, <laughs> even though it's all around us. You know, we've talked about him or her uh, this morning even. We've alluded indirectly to COVID. And, you know, this morning I just want to concentrate on God's pure, simple word. I, you know, I want, I want to share with you a teaching that is not issue-oriented, that speaks of victory over our enemies or, or the calm after the storm or protection from death or disease. I, I don't want anything spectacular today. I don't want anything that's remedial or confrontative or faith-filled or charismatic or Pentecostal. For this morning, at least, I, I'd like to just speak from a simple, wholesome passage made out of whole cloth. It's just one piece, four or five verses, where foundational truths are expressed, where the, the bottom line sort of is alluded to. This is, as I say, comfort food. This is indivisible. This is just one golden nugget of blessing extracted from the Word of God. I'd like, to tr I'd like to try, at least, to give you not an exquisite meal or, or something distinctive and sophisticated and pithy and uh, memorable, but rather just that, some simple food for the soul that whispers to us with the voice of a gentle mother or an understanding grandfather. I'd like to go to the very basics of God's Word, uh, what I would say the building blocks of his heart, the very foundations of his love for us. When, when I think of simple scripture that speaks to the soul and that doesn't require much to be understood and digested, Psalm 23 immediately comes to my mind. I, I can't think of anything more foundational, more basic, or more comforting than Psalm 23. You know, Psalm 23 doesn't ask much of us and instead gives us a lot. You don't have to be a theologian or to have read a lot of literature to be able to understand its simple, comforting meaning. You know, generally, in order to get energy, you have to invest energy. That's, that's a rule of life. In order to get profit, you have to invest a lot of time or effort or money, and you get something out of it. You know, it's like that with everything. Even to save energy, you have to invest energy at times. And sometimes people discover that things that were thought to save energy end up being more energy consuming because it takes so much to put in uh, in order to get out something. You know, Psalm 23 is not like that. Psalm 23, it just lays right next to you and uh, gives you peace and comfort. You don't have to do extraordinary, you know, exegesis or or kind of seek references and find the, the Hebrew meaning of a certain word. You may be practically illiterate and simply have learned it by memory, and you can have the same access as a, an intellectual don, as a, as a great theologian. It, it just gives. It doesn't ask for much. And that is the heart of God. This is why Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved pieces of literature that the world has ever known. Of course, it is more than literature, but, you know, there's something about the poetry, the simplicity, and the eloquence of Psalm 23 that uh, for hundreds of years 
has uh, captivated uh, literary critics. It is one of the great pieces of literature, period. Forget about biblical scripture. No, it is simply a, a piece of genius, having come from the very heart of God and from the mouth of a prophet like David was. Psalm 23 is like the quiet, still voice that spoke to Elijah in the desert when he was depressed and feeling alone and, and defeated. Elijah expected God's voice to come in an earthquake or a consuming fire or a powerful wind, and God set him up. He said, ah, surely the Lord is in this or that or that, all these powerful manifestations. But no, the, the word of God came to him in a gentle whisper that brought peace to Elijah's anguished soul. God knew that in that moment that Elijah was living, he didn't need fire. He didn't need um, a powerful wind. He didn't need an earthquake that would just crush stones and make things fall. No, he needed, he needed a, a quiet voice of a grandmother or a grandfather whispering to him and bringing peace uh, intravenously, if you will, into his heart and soul. That's all he needed. He needed, just like the, the nourishment that he gave Elijah, put him to sleep. When he woke up, there's a tortilla on the rocks, uh, cooking and, and a glass of water. Simple soul food. That's all that this prophet needed. And Psalm 23 is like that. And you know the Psalm well. It begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, nothing more basic than that. It's almost indivisible. It is like those, uh, you know, denominators that, that you simplify and you can't get any further. You know, it, it doesn't have any more pieces to it. It's, it's just, it's just the, the, the reduced denominator. Well, it's like that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It, it, is, it is the most foundational. Everything else in Scripture is really wrapped around that fact. God is my shepherd. I'm cool. I'm all right. Everything is fine. If you know what a shepherd is and what a sheep is, then you get very quickly the meaning of what the psalmist is saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Nothing more fragile or, or needy or stupid than a sheep. <laughs> we, we were in Israel just a, a few weeks ago, and uh, we happened to go to a place. It was a social service uh, place that takes care of, a ch of youth that are, you know, having behavioral problems and so on. And there was a bunch of sheep. There was like, I don't know, 40, 50 of them in a pen. And, uh, you know, these sheep, they were noisy, and, um, you know, they were kind of active, but that's all they could do. They could just, uh, you know, do like sheep do. I don't even know what you say, how you say it in English, uh, the noise that sheep make. But, um, you know, they were going around. They were nothing. That's all. They were just existing. Nothing distinctive about them. Nothing really even very attractive about them. Um, they, they, there's nothing more fragile and needing help than a sheep. But then there's nothing more powerful to a sheep or more reassuring than the presence of the shepherd. And so David is saying, as he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's saying, I'm totally dependent on God's love. And since he loves me and cares for me, I will not lack anything that is important or fundamental for my happiness or well-being. If he is my shepherd, then I'm okay. 
Everything will somehow take care of itself. I don't have the answer. I don't know what time I'm going to eat. I can't procure food for myself. I can't find, I don't have the intelligence to find a, a place to drink water from. But the shepherd, he, he takes care of all that. I've delegated that to him. My task is to be a sheep and to let myself be led to places where I can eat and drink and rest and be protected. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, this, this statement, of course, uh, requires some, some commentary. And always there's a couple of asterisks at the end of these statements. You know, the, yeah, the, the fact is that God doesn't always give you what you want. You can't just say, you know, God is my shepherd and therefore I will never suffer. Uh, no loved ones will die on me. Um, I will not go through any financial difficulties. Um, you know, I won't have marital problems or I won't have problems with my kids or at my job. No, he's not saying that. But the fundamental truth of, of his statement still remains. God is my provider. He's my caretaker. And no matter what happens in my life, I will always have what is necessary for my happiness, for my sustenance, for my well-being. Now, there may come times of lack or suffering, but David is saying, but the net result of it all will be provision, victory, and fulfillment. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God will ultimately provide for my material, spiritual, or emotional needs. And in the end, since he is my provider, I will lack nothing required for my overall well-being. And you'll see that David goes through other moments of stress and difficulty, but he sees the shepherd there as well. And that's the idea, no? So he's my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he goes on and he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, how poetic is that? This is why this is great literature. It's, it's a beautiful metaphor developed slowly and exquisitely and simply. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. This is poetic imagery that, that suggests rest, refreshment, peace, and protection from the struggles of life. We are often surrounded by, by pressure, tension. We're often attacked by the expectations of others, uh, by having to perform, by having to do good, by not letting people down or, or uh, disappoint people. And you know, that, that dries us up. It, it, um, it makes us thirsty. It debilitates us, always being in front of people's eyes, their criticism, their the critiques, sometimes well-meant, sometimes not so much so. You know, but having God on our side assures us that we will have moments of rest and restoration. That at the end of the day, like the donkey, our master will come and he will take the, all the burdens that we have carried during the day. El aparejo, I don't know how you say that in, in, in English. But, you know, he, he, the, the, the saddle and all the stuff that you use to carry things. You know, at the end of the day, your master comes, takes it from your shoulders, you get to lie down and rest. Um, in times of anxiety, in times of financial or family pressures, nothing like going into that secret place of prayer and worship and giving our cares over to God, taking our burdens and putting them on Him. And He's perfectly capable and happy to take them, trusting that God will take care of us. And he, that he will give us a solution to problems that we cannot handle by ourselves. 
I may not be this extraordinary performer, but uh, that's not where my self-esteem lies. Uh, that's, where, that's not really where my ultimate success lies. I can find comfort in that. I can go to the place of prayer, cry before the Lord, express my frustrations, and lie beside those still waters that the Lord leads me to, and just drink and rejuvenate myself and relax. You know, th in this time that you are going through now, that's what you need to do. You need to take time to pray. You need to take time to worship the Lord. You need to take time to take your eyes away from reality, quote-unquote, and put them on that ultimate reality, the foundation of reality that is God. He knows your needs. He knows how long your struggle is going to last, and He has promised that you will come through. When I pray to the Lord and I take time to be with Him and to have conversation with Him, you know what? I emerge refreshed. I emerge with a lighter heart and the confidence that God is with me in my struggle. And it's like drinking cool water. You know, it's interesting that David says, he makes me to lie down. Don't miss that. He makes me to lie down. This is what literary criticism is all about. You can't miss those moments. They may seem, you know, kind of unnecessary, but a lot of meat can be found there. He makes me to lie down. In other words, the action comes from God. God initiates this moment of rest. It's almost like uh, David is saying, God forces me to lay down. He exercises gentle, loving pressure on me to rest and relax. God, you know, again, God is like uh, that grandmother saying, hey, relax, take it easy. Here, have some more pasta. Eat more. Manja. Sometimes, no matter how hard we try, like when we try to go to sleep and, and we're anxious, God himself has to come and intervene and bring us to that place of rest. I know for myself, sometimes when I'm anxious, like uh, last night, I didn't have the sermon ready. <laughs> it happens many times. And I don't sleep well. You know, half of the time I'm working on the sermon uh, at night and letting it just kind of seep in. But it, it creates a little bit of anxiety because I know I'm going to have to get up at 5 a.m. and I'm going to be racing the clock to get everything done. And, you know, that's just the way I've chosen. I, I could do it differently, but, uh, you know, no need to have excuses. Right now I just want to lie down before the Lord. When I'm anxious, I have to ask the Lord to go into my heart and quiet my nerves and bring me to that state of rest. If you're anxious, commit your care to the Lord and let him induce in you the peace that you need. The Lord says in John 14, 27, peace I, live, I leave you, my peace, my peace I give you. He made that distinction. You know, the, the, the peace that he gives, he says, I do not give to you as the world gives peace. The peace that the Lord gives is, again, intravenous. It's direct. It's, it just goes right into your bones and your nerves and, and your neurons. It is administered directly like a good injection. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, sometimes I, I can't... I, I can't find the peace. I can't uh, somehow concoct it by giving myself, you know, pep talks. I just have to say, Lord, I need you now to take over. I need you to carry me. How many times have you woke up uh, on a morning 
And uh, before you go to bed, when that alarm clock sounds, you know, you, you ask yourself, where is the energy going to come from for me to go through this day? And you, you simply have to commit yourself to the care of the Lord and say, Father, carry me today. I don't have the wherewithal. I, 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 can't, I don't know how I'm going to exist, much less thrive today. So I commit my soul to you. Lead me into just quiet water. Verse 3 uh, speaks of God restoring our soul. It says, he refreshes my soul. In Spanish, confortará mi alma. It says, God will comfort my soul. And certainly that is one of the ways we can interpret uh, this verse. God encourages us when we are weary. He whispers words of hope and confidence. This idea of restoring the soul also brings to mind the idea of mending. It speaks of healing when we have been hurt or when we are feeling worn out after a lengthy struggle. It is a mending a veil that has been rended. It, it speaks of uh, taking your car that just had a uh, crash and taking it to the shop to be mended, to be restored, or an old... Uh, Classical car, jalopy, being taken to a master artist and a broken vase from, from a museum, being taken to a master restorer, somebody who restores beautiful, valuable pieces and sets them back into shape, into their original beauty. And this is what the uh, psalmist says, he restores my soul. God specializes in restoring our soul when it is broken or we have broken it. When we have soiled ourselves, when we have uh, led ourselves into bankruptcy, God comes quietly, gently, without reproach, and restores our soul. When you wake up in the morning, you say, I can't take one more day of this boring life, of this prison. God is waiting for you to ask him to come and to restore and mend your soul. When you feel tired by the lengthy pressures that you're experiencing, that wear you out slowly, you and I, we need God to come in and restore our souls, to comfort our souls, and to gently let us know that there will be an end to our struggle. This is not forever. Your struggle, your fight is only for as long as it needs to remain to make you into what I want to make you. I'm not absent-minded. Your struggles do not catch me by surprise. I have ushered them into your life for blessing. But it will not last. It will not break you. It will not kill you. I'm reminded by, of the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Speaking to us in the 21st century right now. No temptation, or take it, no trial. No testing, no suffering has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You know that there have been many viruses, many plagues, many wars, worse than, than the one that we are facing right now. Nothing has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Jesus said, in this world you will find trouble and affliction. But he, uh, the apostle says, and God is faithful. God is faithful. The Lord is my shepherd. 
And he says, and, and Paul says, he will not let, let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You know, I take comfort from that when I'm in, in times of stress, and I've been through so many through my life. I'm always reminded that when I say to the Lord, I can't take it anymore, he says, no, you, you still got a little bit more in you. He's like a good coach, pushes you, and he, he wants to extract from you that extra measure of greatness. He says, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, says the Apostle Paul, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Would you take that home with you this morning? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. In the second part of verse 3, David reminds us that God will lead us in paths of righteousness. You know, that's something that is extraordinary here. He will lead us, he will lead me in paths of righteousness. It comes like almost a, a non-secular. It comes out of nowhere. He, he, here, what, what the psalmist is saying is that, um, and by the way, he, he, here is no longer the image of a sheep. Now this is a person speaking. This is a human being speaking. He says, I, the Lord will lead me in ways of integrity and holiness throughout my entire life. I can trust that he will make sure that I walk in a way that is acceptable to him. David is implying that God will give us guidance in order to prevent us from straying from his path. Holiness is not something that comes from, from me, from you. It can only come from the Holy Spirit working in our lives and keeping us in the straight path living according to God's word. He will lead me in paths of righteousness. Holiness comes from my desire to be holy, to stay holy, from submitting my mind and my emotions to the work of God in me. I cannot do it by myself. I can take rest in the fact that my righteousness comes from Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross on my behalf. It's not about good works. It's not about performance. It's about resting in God and asking Him to guide me and to take me when I stray and put me back along paths of righteousness, like a sheep that needs to be kept along the path of safety. And, you know, mysteriously, David says, for his name's sake, he will do this. And I, I, I thought hard about that. Why for his name's sake? What does, why does God keep me in the path of righteousness for God's name's sake? What, God is, what, what David is saying is that um, God is totally committed to our righteousness because I think God sees his reputation being involved in this task. Just like a shepherd's reputation depends on keeping his sheep safe, and taking them to places that are secure, God is highly interested in the world knowing that he is perf perfectly capable of keeping his people safe and secure. So knowing that, you know, it's a great comfort to me. God is so committed to keeping me along paths of righteousness that, you know, he says, hey, my name is committed to that. My signature is on this venture. It's a great guarantee in the midst of tribulation. God is personally committed to keeping me safe. His name depends on it. Verses 4 and 5, 
speak clearly of safety in the midst of danger. The, the tone of the psalm changes here. Now it's no longer a neutral, loving influence, a keeping us um, in, in rest and freshness and in holiness. Now it's, it's about uh, God doing this in the context of adversarial activity, in the context of uh, struggle and war and hostile enemies. This is about safety in the midst of war. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, and it, it, there's another passage, this is the NIV, but in the NKJV, the New King James Version, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death uh, is the place where we are exposed. There's no place to hide because everything is flat, as in a valley. You've seen the difference between a valley and mountainous places. A valley is just, you're exposed. I mean, you're, you're, it's flat territory. So there could be somebody in, in a high place ready to shoot you down. There may be robbers waiting for you, and you have nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. That's the valley of the shadow of death. It, it is a place of threat. It is a place of danger, of exposure. And he says, I will fear not when I'm there. Even though I walk through that valley, I will fear no evil. Life is full of dangers and, and threats. The Bible reminds us that Satan is like a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking to devour us. But God reminds us that he always walks with us. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always until the end of time. Even though you walk in dangerous places, don't fear no evil, ultimately. Get yourself to that place because God is with you. And by the way, we're reminded here of the change of pronouns. In the first three verses or so, the psalmist has been speaking about he. He guides me along. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. But now, the pronoun changes to you. It says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's important. This is personal. David is now referring to a personal companion, a personal caretaker. God is right next to him, walking with him in the place of danger. It's like he's saying, I will fear no evil for, for you are with me. He's looking to God. He's, he's seeing God right next to him. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah, Isaiah 41.10, where the Lord says to the prophet and to us, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It is good to know that God is faithfully with us, no matter where we go. He told Joshua in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Joshua was probably full of fear, you know, the fact that he had to replace his great man, Moses, and had to lead a numerous people into a new land. And God says, hey, aren't I the one who has assigned you this task? And therefore, you're okay. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Yes, Joshua, you're going to have to fight a lot of battles. Your, your life is going to be in danger. But I am with you. Therefore, it's okay. 
Be strong, be courageous, be aggressive, undertake great things. I am with you. Don't cower in a corner. Don't become conservative. Don't become timid. Undertake great things. Expect great things because I am with you. Even though it may be difficult, I am with you. People of God, be encouraged. God is with you. Fear no evil. Walk aggressively. Walk confident. Lift your head up high. Wake up in the morning and sing to the Lord for His goodness is forever. His mercy is forever. It is well with your soul. David doesn't look at uh, his importance. He doesn't look at his own lack of strength. He says, your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. He's looking at the, these weapons that the, and, and these instruments of grace that the shepherd has in his hands. He's referring to two instruments that the shepherd uses for the safety of his sheep. The rod is for defense against enemies and for correction sometimes of the sheep when they are a bit... Uh, disobedient. It's an offensive weapon, your rod. And then the staff is what we associate with the guidance, this long contraption that has a hook, like a crooked, gentle hook around it for rescuing, for getting, taking the sheep out of a ravine or, or getting them gently back from somewhere. So God's uh, bilateral, if you will, bipolar ways of dealing with his people and with the devil that tries to destroy. God can also discipline us at times. He will also defend us and he will also attack the enemy that is seeking to get our soul. God can be a disciplining God. He can also be a God who fights for us when the enemy attacks us. He, can, he has all kinds of instruments, all designed to keep us safe and to protect us. Your rod and your staff. When I look at them, when I see your skill at using them, I'm cool. I'm okay. In 1 Samuel 17, before confronting Goliath, David reminded a worried, a worried King Saul that he had experience in warfare, fighting against lions and bears, keeping his, his sheep safe. 1 Samuel 17. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I cut it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, read Goliath, will be one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow, I wish I would have said that. <laughs> Beautiful words of courage and strength. And, you know, this worried king said, okay, hey, God be with you. Go get him. You know, that's what, that's what happens when we believe in the Lord. Our strength, our confidence is contagious. People around us who are fearful and afraid, they, they get some comfort from us, from our own strength, from our own confidence. And uh, then they're encouraged to do great things. Give your children encouragement. Uh, call somebody on the phone and tell them, it's okay, God is with you. Don't worry, you're not going to perish. We're going to get through this together. Because people are looking at us believers. How, how do we confront this situation? And they will get their cue from us. And so I, I call forth the, the Spirit of God, the confidence, the strength, the courage 
of God. You know, David said, God has delivered me before. Why won't he, why won't he do it again? And this is what we have to say. We've, we've been through a lot of scrapes through our life. This will be no different. God will take us through it. God is also a warrior. You know, he, he's totally committed to defending us from evil. We should take comfort from that. I'm coming to the end here. God sees our frailty, but his strength and his commitment to our welfare is more than enough. We should look at his strength and not at our weakness. Look at God's rod and his staff. Let that comfort you in times of danger. Uh, not only does God protect us, but he also blesses us abundantly. So much so that he mocks our enemies, even as they look to do us harm and are enraged by God's blessings in our life. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Imagine that scene. God has abundantly and generously and carefully laid a, a, a long table with all kinds of great food and drink on it. And then there's all kinds of enemies of David around him. They envy him. They want him to fail. They hate him. Uh, they, uh, they want God to not forgive him for what the things, the sins that he has committed. And here comes God and says to David, hey, come, sit down. You're my guest today. I'm going to treat you to the best food that you have ever had. I'm going to give you a good, good meal. And the enemies are envious. They, they can't hold back their hatred. And here's David putting on his uh, uh, napkin and, and enjoying this good food while looking at these guys who want to destroy him. And they are prevented from doing so because his vigilant father is around him, protecting him defending him. He prepares a table for us. He prospers us. He provides abundantly for us. He makes us come out stronger from our trials and difficulties. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns into good. We see the story of Joseph sold by his uh, brothers into slavery. They wanted to destroy him. They couldn't kill him, but they did the worst that they could. They, they tore him from family and sent him off, off as a slave. And uh, years afterwards, his brothers come to beg for food in Egypt. And now Joseph is the, the, the vice president. He's the second in command of all of this powerful nation in charge of the, this distributing food to everyone because a great plague, a great famine has struck the land. And uh, they, they fear that he's going to get revenge from them, that he hates them. And you know the famous words in uh, Genesis 50, verses 20 and 21. But as for you, a smiling Joseph says, you meant evil against me. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. You know, this, this stuff that is going on, the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But I think God means it for good. I, I expect wonderful things to happen from this experience. And I know that God's people, if we stay the course and we keep our eyes focused on Him, on His rod and staff, what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it for good, as He did with uh, Joseph. Psalm 23 says, My cup runs over. 
Because when God provides, he provides in abundance. God will provide for you and your family. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God doesn't give reluctantly. He gives gladly. He's a cheerful giver. That's why you can approach him confidently for every need that you have. And by the way, using James imagery, one of the things that we most need during this time is wisdom. Wisdom to uh, interpret what we're living, wisdom to make big decisions, wisdom every time we go out into the street, wisdom as to how to encourage our family. You know, go to this generous God who gives abundantly, without reluctance, without approach, without reproach, without making you feel that you're any less for it. And ask him for it. One of the things that you can always know God will give you is wisdom if you need it. And finally, verse 6. This is a complex psalm, even though it's very simple. It has so much in it, as you can see. Verse 6 wraps everything up, summarizes everything. Goodness and mercy. Surely, surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness will follow me. You know, I, I live, I try to live life like that, like a favored child. Like God has a special plan for me alone. I know that that's not so, but you know, you have to, you have to expect God's goodness to follow you. You have to live with this active expectation, this magnetic belief that God is deeply interested in blessing you and in keeping you safe and in providing for you and defending you and forgiving you and restoring you and instructing you and leading to rest and peace and to provide for everything that you need. Surely, the goodness of God will follow me all the days of my life. Believe that. You know, when we expect good things in an aggressive defiant sort of way, they come. I don't know about others and their own journeys and why they don't get more of the blessing of God. It's not that they're, pro they're probably much more pious than I am, but I know one thing, which is that when you expect good things from God, they will come. They will follow you. The asterisks, all the other complexities, I leave it up to him. I expect great things from God. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the bottom line, people. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David says in another passage in Psalms 27, you know, I would have become discouraged if I didn't expect. Si no creyere que veré la bondad de Jehová en la tierra de los vivientes. If I did not believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I know that I would be discouraged right now. But you know, that keeps me, what keeps me going and strong is that, you know, if I perish, I perish for the Lord. If I live, I live for the Lord. You know, the worst that can happen to us is that we die and we go to be with the Lord. And then when you're on the other side, you won't, you won't care about the children you left. Well, you might, but in a very enlightened sort of way. You won't care about uh, all the struggles and the suffering that you experienced in life. It will not matter one bit. You will see the universe in all its grand design and purpose. You will know as God knows 
you will see that all your failures and all your tribulations were meaningless before the goodness of God and the coherence of this universe that he has created and that he will not allow to get out of his hand. And so the worst that can happen <clears throat> is that you die and you go before the presence of the Lord. Now, we say that a lot, but you know, few of us believe that really. That's why we get so worried. That's why we're so concerned. That's why we flee so easily from the enemy and from the danger. If I truly believed that, I wouldn't be that worried. I would say, wow, the worst thing that can happen to me is that I come to be with the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God, I want to be there. And you want to be there as well. If you have Jesus Christ in your heart and you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior. I've gone on longer than I expected or wanted, but so be it. I mean, this is God's beautiful, loving word. And we need to let it wash over us. We need to enjoy every bit of God's nourishment. Eat more of that good food. Manja, eat more of uh, the blessing of God on that table that he has provided for you. Let it be your sustenance. Let his good drink be with you every morning and every evening before you go to bed. Enjoy God's comfort food. And uh, let his goodness follow you until you end up resting in the house of the Lord forever. Father, let your word have its way in us. We have said enough. Let your blessing wash over us. Let your fresh water calm our fear, our thirst. I proclaim the blessing of this teaching and this psalm over your people today. May we eat of that good food for the coming days and derive our sustenance from it. Thank you for your counsel. Thank you for your comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you, God's people.